Hello, I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox, the accelerator program for founders with full-time jobs. Today, we chatted with Dave Idell, the founder of Croissant. Croissant's an incredibly interesting company, and our conversation becomes even more relevant with WeWork announcing its financials leading up to their IPO the other day. Croissant's a flexible co-working space that actually has the type of community WeWork claims they do. They've got a clever tech solution to a difficult problem, allowing you to have one membership that gives you access to thousands of locations to work. Dave and I dig into the early days of the company, figuring out where to focus, growing in a counterintuitive way by purposefully ignoring a ton of advice from investors, and his thoughts on where idea stage founders should focus. It was a fun chat, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you need flexible workspace in New York, Atlanta, Austin, Barcelona, or a ton of other cities, check out getcroissant.com. Have a great week. Thank you, Dave, for stopping by. And for folks who don't know, what is Croissant? So Croissant is an app that lets you easily access workspaces all around the world, actually, but most people use it in their own city. But uh, yeah, you can just easily access any workspace on the go um, instantly and by the minute. Awesome. So it's very quick. <laughs> nice. So a lot of our founders from Tacklebox have used Croissant and love it. I am curious as to how it started. So I'd love to hear the origin story, like where the initial idea came from, how you started testing it, all that good stuff. Basically, it started out of a need that we had. So we were working on a a completely different startup idea, actually, in early 2015. And um, me and my co-founders, we would meet up and work on it at at these different uh, coffee shops around New York. And... uh, (laughs) That it was always really tough. Like we would always like fight for seats and like we didn't really have a place to meet. And we, we actually looked at WeWork, uh, which is where we're sitting right now. I considered buying a membership and uh, I don't know, I just didn't want to spend um, a couple hundred bucks a head for something that we would use like once or twice a month. It just didn't uh, seem like what we wanted to do. And so, yeah, we just kept working on this idea. And like one day we were just sitting there like, why isn't it really easy to just like hop into any one of these buildings all around us. There's like all these empty buildings. I mean, they're not empty, but like they have space mm-hmm. and like we're stuck running around and it just didn't seem right. Something was off. And so that's kind of what sparked the idea. And, you know, we didn't do anything with this idea. We just kind of sat on it for several months. And then finally uh, we went to the TechCrunch hackathon that they have every year or they used to have every year the Manhattan Center, <laughs> and uh, we prototyped an app for um, holding a seat at a coffee shop. So that was the original idea. Yeah. The whole idea was we would um, place these beacons in the coffee shop and you would triangulate your position. And yeah, it was this whole thing. <laughs> it was a hackathon project. Yeah. And um, they thought it was a cool idea. So we prototyped that. It would triangulate your position and then you would check in. Uh, with the app and it would you pay for uh, however long you're there and you can order stuff to your seat. Mm. And so that was the uh, initial idea and uh, we presented it on stage at the hackathon. That's what they do there. Everyone has like 60 seconds to pitch their idea. There's no real like prize or anything, but well, there kind of was a prize because 
they selected a couple of startups to write about in TechCrunch. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they, every like half an hour, they put out a new article. Like the writers are just sitting there pumping out articles. And uh, we got picked up in one of the articles and uh, it, you know, it got blown up on Twitter and uh, it just, yeah, it received a good response on social media. People were like reaching out to us. I was like, whoa, like this, people actually like, like this idea as opposed to the other thing we were working on. Uh, and we were like, okay. So there's some market validation and it was kind of at that moment that we were like, uh, maybe we should like work on this full time uh, nice. as opposed to the other thing. So that's when we started to like play around with the idea. And, um, we were talking to a couple of different coffee shops to see if they would like pilot it with us. And, um, none of them bit. <laughs> they were like, what the hell is this thing? Like, I don't want this thing. Uh, so that was what happened. And we were just kind of walking around New York one day and we were like, what should we do to, to move this thing forward? And, you know, we randomly decided to walk into the yard, which is a co-working space. Uh, they have a couple locations here in New York. They were also new at the time. I think, I, I don't really know how many locations they had, but we talked to someone there and they ran it up the chain and the, the CEO was like, interested and he signed off on it. He's like, okay, let's try it out. And that was like our first location. And then we quickly got a couple more locations because the reason it works so much better for the, the co-working space than the coffee shop is because the business model for the co-working space was already in place. Like they could just plug in croissant. It just made more sense. So that's, that's kind of how it all got started. We just like randomly tried it and they said yes. And we quickly iterated on an app for the next month and just launched a very bare bones check-in, check-out app in summer of 2015. And then we started promoting it on meetup.com actually. <laughs> but then, uh, yeah, word started to spread and people started to sign up and, and actually use it. And that was kind of crazy to us. Very cool. Yeah. But the, the first time we actually like started to get real traction was several months later, like four or five months later, we got into Forbes. We applied to um, this guy, Andrew Weinrich. You might have heard of him. He's yeah, like yeah. taking the scene here. Yeah, he had this uh, Forbes contributor license of some sort, and we applied and we got in, and he made an article about us, and that fueled our SEO for the next like six months. So if it wasn't for that, I don't know what would happen, but uh, that that was kind of our source of growth. Very cool. Say. Yeah, yeah. So I have, I have a couple questions. Um, first, so that initial team you said you're saying like we so who's on that team and what were your skill sets what was, what was the background yeah so i mean at the time there were four of us i had a tech background three others so you know it was me tech another tech one of them had sales background Nisha has design background um two of them aren't with the team anymore but it, right now it's the active founders are, are me and Nisha. the initial background was just a well-rounded group of tech and like partnerships, uh, sales kind of. Very cool. So that's kind of how it got. And did you each have full-time jobs at this point or had you kind of jumped in on the previous startup? No, I, I quit <laughs> my job a year earlier. <laughs> yeah, like I was telling you before we started, I, I, I used to work as a programmer. I did that for several years. Uh, before that, I, I did do some entrepreneurial stuff, but it didn't really go anywhere. I got a job worked for a while, saved up a bunch of money and just quit that. I know most people can't do that, but I saved money and I knew that with my skill set, I could always just get another job if things went south. 
And so, yeah, don't try this at home. But <laughs> <laughs> I got lucky and uh, that this idea came upon us. I don't know. Yeah, I guess if this didn't happen, I would have just got another job or something. Yeah. I was kind of running low for a while. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Next question is around something that our founders have to deal with a lot, where it's like, I have an idea for a marketplace. There are established businesses. So in your case, it was the coffee shops and then it was the yard. But you've got really nothing to pitch them. The coffee shops, it sounds like, didn't go well. Um, I'd be curious to hear what you pitched them and then what you pitched the yard and what that sort of looked like. Well, the, the pitch to the coffee shop was, we enter a coffee shop, they're packed with people on their laptop who are buying like one coffee, one black coffee every five hours, you know? And it's yeah. not like profitable for them. So we thought it'd be a win-win if like, okay, let's say you have a paid section so people don't feel bad about being on their laptop and also you make some extra money from it. But uh, at the end of the day, it's just, um, we, we didn't pitch a lot. We only yeah. pitched like five or so, but they were just like, oh, we don't want to like divide up our coffee shop into like a paid area and like a non-paid area. They just didn't want to do it. Sure. I could see why. Yeah. No. <laughs> That's kind of a weird thing to do. No, I totally get it. It's a tricky thing. Yeah. Um, and we've had pitches for that sort of thing and it's tricky. Um, so then how did the, the conversation with the yard go? Well, that made much more sense for them because they already have a common area and it's already a paid thing. So it's like, oh, okay, why not try this thing? So cool. let's it just click to, we didn't really put too much thought into it. We're just like, we're like, oh, I guess it would make sense. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, we just like did it. Uh, yeah. Was there like a specific pilot set up or were they just like, oh, we'll give it a shot and then, and then eventually it turned into a contract or whatever? Yeah, we put together a very basic proposal. Cool. We didn't like sign anything, actually. It was kind of just like a handshake agreement based on a proposal that we sent them. Very cool. And, and they were new as well, so they were sort of trying to figure out how to get stuff going. I, I, actually, now, now that I think about it, they weren't new because I read that you know, the art's been around for a long time, since at least 2012, 2013. I, I could be wrong, maybe even earlier. I don't know. Cool. This is in 2015. So they've been around for a while at that cool. point. But nothing like us existed yet. Yeah. So we were, it was a very novel idea. Like if you do that nowadays, they'd be like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but back in the day, uh, yeah, we were that this hadn't been thought of yet. So you mentioned that you got the article, which drove SEO. What was the messaging that resonated with people? And what were you, what was sort of like the early call to action for them to do or join? Well, we had one package. No, we had two packages. We had full time for two ninety nine, and then, uh, part-time for 99, um, before we had roll, we have rollover nowadays, but this is back in the day where rollover technology was invented. Uh, <laughs> so those are like basically the two packages you could buy. There wasn't anything special about the messaging. We just kind of told our story in this article mm -hmm. and it's like, this is what it is. It's kind of cool. It's new. And I guess that, that was good. It got people to the website and we just had a very simple click here to buy. We had, we had mentorship too. Like the whole time that this was happening, uh, we were at an accelerator called uh, Co-Found Harlem, hmm. started by a guy named John Henry. It's pretty prominent nowadays. He's doing his thing on Vice now, but uh, back in that day, he was uh, starting this accelerator shortly after he sold his company. So he was kind of acting as our mentor. So him and his buddies were also like helping us figure out the call to action and, and right. really design the, the site to to sell, you know? Yeah. So that, that mixed with the article. And it's, it's just one of those things. Like I remember, I distinctly remember the first time I heard about it and it was probably 2015. I mean, I'm in this world, but it was like, 
it was just a really good, first of all, the name stuck with me because I remember yeah. hearing the story very quickly. Like the first thing I heard is that there was a story that the founder had to buy a croissant every once in a while because <laughs> he felt bad from working, working from the coffee shop, which yeah. well, Nisha came up with the name. She just randomly oh, came really? up with it. And, but I mean, it was based on that experience of yeah. buying coffees and croissants at the coffee shop. <laughs> but we were sitting there at the hackathon and we were like, what should we call this thing? And we're just like sitting there for like a minute, not saying anything. And then randomly Nisha blurted out, she's like, croissant. I was like, boom, that's awesome. <laughs> I was like, that is freaking amazing. That is like the best name ever. Yeah. That's and great. people have told us like, oh, you should change your name to be more recognizable, like desk, desk booker. And so <laughs> like people seriously over the years, have like, they, I don't really get this anymore. But like the first like two years, people strongly recommended changing the name. Um, and I was just like, no, <laughs> not going to happen. That's so funny. So. Because I remember, I remember hearing it and everything about it felt different than the way that other co-working spaces were sort of popping up or like trying to pull from my attention or whatever. Um, and I thought that was interesting. So I, I do want to talk about that. So early on, what were the thoughts on differentiation or I know now you've got a, a great focus on community. Was that something that was focus or a priority early on? Well, we made a community message board early on. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't even know if like community is the main focus. I just want to get people into spaces as easily as possible whenever they want to. That's really the focus and community kind of comes with that. But I mean, I'm not like trying to act like I'm some sort of community God, you know, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm trying to make this thing as awesome as possible. And then when you make something cool, like generally, I think a community will form around it. Mm. So I think that that's kind of happened a little bit. Yeah. In the beginning, we didn't really. Yeah, think of it that way. We're just like, oh, let's just make this thing work. Hmm. And I was like, yeah, let's just get spaces to come on board and let's make the app. Let's just keep adding features. Like we had like a, a feature for adding your guests and everything. And yeah, we just keep like hearing what people want on both sides of the equation, the spaces and the customers and just keep building and just keep pushing it out there through articles or bloggers or however else we can get it out there. And that's really all we thought about. We didn't build the community message board though. Yeah, about six months in, I would say, based on people like wanting kind of that kind of thing. Mm. To this day though, we really don't really have a structure on our community. Like we've always just kind of let it go. Like people can form their own groups if they want to. Um, we actually for a while had a feature where we had these little meetups, we call them, or like co-working sessions where you can book a seat alongside someone else and like invite people to your hold. This is crazy feature that we made, but um, it didn't really take off, so we turned it off for now. Oh. We'll, we'll bring we'll bring it back in the future, but for now, like we're just focused on other features. But that that's we've we've experimented there. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. I have a question about focus. So early on, it can get challenging to figure out what to prioritize and what to work on. What were the things during those first six months that you were like, we need to nail X, Y, and Z, and we need to not think about other things? Is that was that sort of? Yeah, yeah. Now that is a good point. I did have to think about what to work on. I'm trying to think how I did that. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't know. I, I really, it's, we just kind of made a list of everything that like could be worked on. So we had like a sauna and just made a list of everything. And uh, we just kind of prioritized it as a team. We just looked at the list and moved things up and down and like, okay, over the next, well, we didn't set timelines, but we were just like, let's just do this next. And then once that was done, let's do this next. Cool. So it's kind of like gut feeling what we should do next. Very cool. Yeah. And were there metrics early on 
in terms of like what what were the things that you were trying to push forward? Uh, no, we didn't really track any metrics. I don't mm. think for the first year. So we we applied. We got into five hundred startups mm. about a year into it. Cool. And that was when we were introduced to the concept of metrics. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to get this thing working for like the first year. I would say. Nice. Did you have? Did you work with Elizabeth Yin there? I met her, but I don't. I didn't she like. Met her. Met her. Yeah. She was on the podcast. She came on the podcast with. Uh, uh, she's on hustle doing hustle fund now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we talked about that stuff. Yeah. She, no, I would read her blog. I think when oh, I was there. Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was that was my. Um, we spoke about her prioritization, and she was like, "I'm not sure." She has a lot of things going on. I was like, you should prioritize your blog because it's freaking awesome and everyone reads it. So cool. So I'm curious about, um, you mentioned the pricing models offhand, but how did you come up with those pricing? Pricing's tough. Um, how did you come up with that? Yeah, I think the first time when we first launched, it was $2.99 for Unlimited. And we actually and still How many spaces did you have then? Uh, like three. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, yeah, we grew from like three to 10. Yeah, we weren't really growing fast. We were just kind of like haphazardly getting spaces whenever we could and just kind of focusing on just like coding and designing mm -hmm. rather than like trying to like grow numbers or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the first price was just like two ninety nine for unlimited use. And we still offer that actually today. We just don't advertise it. Yeah, that got some traction actually. And then randomly we're like... I don't think people want to pay that much. <laughs> so we, uh, we introduced a $99 package and we're like, okay, so how do we, what do you give them? So that's when we introduced the concept of like hours. So you get like 40 hours hmm. for the 99 package. And then, uh, and then another, so that was like two months in and then like another six months later, I think we introduced the $39 10 hour package. And then somewhere along the way, we got rid of the $299. So I guess the question is why we did all this. Um, <laughs> it was all just random. Um, really? And we, we've, we've changed the pricing a few times. We've actually, but I mean, you're always going to get pushback. I think what I've heard is you should get some pushback because that means you're charging enough. If you don't get any pushback on price, that means you're not charging enough. So we get pushback on both sides actually on like how much we're charging and how much we're paying out to the spaces. Like hmm. if we get a little bit of pushback, I think that's a good place to be. That, yeah. that, that's the advice I've heard, and I've just been applying that, and I think it's working. Cool. Uh, so I, I haven't felt the need to like do more experimenting lately because I think we have the right amount of it's too expensive feedback, <laughs> not too much, but like a little bit. So it's yeah, very cool. And and that brings up another point that I wanted to touch on from a feedback perspective. What is that? What's your feedback loop with your end user split like with the, the folks paying the two ninety nine here? Yeah, so we use intercom to auto message people. Cool. <laughs> so everyone who signs up gets a message automatically from someone on our team. And then if they respond, we'll respond back. <laughs> so and then yeah, a lot of times we'll ask for feedback in those messages and uh, we'll keep that in like an air table or a spreadsheet or something. Um, what we do with that feedback. I mean, we keep an eye on it, like, because it's tons of feedback. Like, yeah. We can't possibly act on all of it. So we try to, like, look for the patterns. And we don't, like, score it or anything, but, like, our gut tells us, like, what to work on the next based on the patterns that we're seeing. But, yeah, in terms of the messages, yeah, it's, like, after you sign up, an hour after you sign up, you get an email from, like, Georgette, our head of community, or someone else that says, oh, how did you hear about us? Or, some, or another message might be... Um, 
yeah, how's your experience so far or something like that, depending on if they use it or not. So we have different triggers. Cool. Um, yeah, like you could set tags. And I don't know if you know about Intercom, you can set tags uh, for different triggers. So in our database, we set triggers, we tag the people in Intercom, and that's uh, what prompts those messages to go out. Really? That, that's our pretty much our entire feedback loop, I would say. And then on the partner end of things, on the other side of the marketplace, we don't have automated emails, but I mean, every partner does go through an onboarding process cool. with our head of partnerships. So she, she has a call with them and maintains a relationship. In some cases, I, I have some older relationships with the partners and they give me feedback all the time <laughs> and I'm trying to quickly like incorporate it, but it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. <laughs> That brings up a cool point. I think that a lot of our founders are hesitant to set up a system like that with Intercom. Like you can, I can, you can set that up if you have, you know, one employee and, and or no employees and and a hundred customers. Not necessarily creating everything automated, but having a system to start that process. I think a lot of, I think we have some founders who are worried that they will annoy their customers if they send them a message or something like that. Have you found that? I guess it depends on the product. Like yeah. if I sign up for like Instagram and I have someone from the Instagram yeah. me, <laughs> like I wouldn't want that, but I feel like depending on the product, like it makes sense to be helped out or like can holding like, cause it are kind of not really B2C, I get a B2C, maybe not, but B2B. Yeah. So we're kind of like on the line between B2C and yeah. B2B. So that's, we do it like a little bit, like a B2B company would probably do it a lot. Mm. Right. There's like a whole like salesperson, then like an integration onboarding person, then an ongoing support dedicated person. Like we don't do that, but we like our support team is responsive. But yeah, those automated emails are kind of like a light version of a B2B handholding situation. Very cool. Yeah, I love I love the setup of your company because you've got you've got so many things going on. It's like <laughs> <a lot. laughs> but it's it sounds like you systematize them. So back to those early days, were there ever what were, what were the signs that it was working and what were, were there any times where you were like, I don't think this is working. We should maybe, we should be enhanced. I, I get more thoughts like that nowadays in the beginning. Really? In the beginning, I was like, oh, this is going to work. Like, this is the best <laughs> idea ever. And that was like before like all of, just cause like the bigger it gets, the more shit happens. Yeah. And it just, I start to call into question like, oh man, should this even exist? <laughs> <laughs> like the shit that like people stealing stuff, like, oh my God, oh. like all sorts of shit happens. Like, Cause you have, that's what I was referring to. Like you have B2B, B2C, and then like you have people problems. Well, the B2B too. and B2C is like the same. Like I, I'm just saying we kind of tell that line, but at the end of the day, it's the same experience for all. Oh, people. totally. Yeah. But you've got, you've got to deal with relationships with businesses and with end users. Yeah. Yeah. That, the partnerships are crazy. Yeah. 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 So we try to systemize that as much as possible. That's taken a lot of work to figure out how to systemize that. Mm -hmm. Oh man, so much pain. <laughs> but we got a pretty good system now. Like we're probably gonna have to drastically change it to grow. Right right now we're at around like six hundred a little over six hundred partnerships. So to if we wanna double that again, that's gonna be probably gonna have to change some things. It's gonna interesting. Yeah, yeah. What was the most interesting or fun part of the first year and a half? Well, I mean it's just like weird because like we weren't really focused on numbers. I was just like building whatever we felt like and not like focusing on anything else. So that was kind of my dream, like was always like start a startup and just like be able to do what I wanted and, and like could, cool. <laughs> but I guess uh, eventually reality sits in and you have to like, actually, if you're going to make a business, you actually have to like be a business person. So I had to kind of make that mental shift. Yeah. yeah. That's a tough one. The, we've had founders who like 
take it. I don't know if you've ever read the book, um, The E-Myth. Yeah, I think I read that actually. Yeah, it's, I did read that. It's a great, where they sort of, yeah. the whole premise in the beginning, they use the example of the woman who opens up like the bakery and then she hates baking pies, but then she, like, she used to love baking pies and then she opens up a shop to bake pies and she hates it because of everything else that takes precedence over baking pies. Yes, that's what happened now. That's why I call into question. I'm like, I don't know the shit. I do all that shit now besides the things I set out to do. So, but it's still fun. It's still like thrilling and all that. It's like, it's great, but like, it's just not what I expected. We've heard that from a number of founders who like, as they ramp up, it just gets harder and more stressful and there are more questions and, but, but you should still start your startup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still, still follow your dream. No, it's definitely worth it. Like I, I wouldn't change anything. Everything, cool. looking back, like I literally have like no regrets. I was thinking about coming into this interview. I was like, asking if I could change it, and like, I don't think I would. Like, yeah. I can't think of like, because I mean, I did the best I could at the time, given what I know. So like, yeah, I don't know. That's a good answer, and I I was gonna ask that. <laughs> I think I saw it on your show. <laughs> cool. So, and and you should read the book, The E Myth. It's actually really really good. So I think there's, there's an interesting shift here or I'm guessing there might be from early stage where you had three, you mentioned then 10 locations to like, now this seems like a pretty, I don't want to use the term franchise, but you're in a bunch of cities. Was there an inflection point where you were like, all right, we need to grow this thing in a different way. And, and what was that? And how'd you think about it? Yeah, I guess when we were first starting out, everyone told us you need to, um, just focus on one city and get it big before you think about this. So, so who's who's everyone? So you went through. It sounds like at least oh, yeah. two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone is in like because you know we we went to start events and talk to mentor and met other startup people over the years. Cool. So that that that's what I mean by like you know I, I would meet other people in these settings and talk about what I'm working on. They'd give me advice. I guess it doesn't really happen anymore. <laughs> they used to like shovel advice onto me. That like it doesn't really happen anymore. Now they're just like. Oh wow, you did it! Oh, yeah, I did do it. <laughs> so, what do you think about that? I have my own thoughts on that. But what do you think about the advice that early stage founders get during the, those early days from folks who spend a few minutes with them? It's a, a lot of it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the the advice for focusing on one city at a time, I think, is best for a startup that has like fifty million in funding. If you, if you're not at that level. I don't think you can play that game. You can't like mass market in one city. I think if you don't have that set up, then you have to do something completely different. You have to change the game. So for us, changing the game meant just going wide quickly. And that's kind of what we settled upon doing. We're just like, you know, we're not going to get anywhere anytime soon if we just keep focusing on New York. So we, as soon as we got out there to San Francisco for 500 startups, we immediately started looking for partners hmm. and we, we launched on the product time. Oh, well, we kind of relaunched. We got, we actually got hunted like a month in unexpectedly so that was kind of weird that was in 2015 then in 2016 we intentionally got hunted <laughs> again when we launched in san francisco we kind of redesigned it a little bit so it's more of a second launch so you grew to san francisco and then well i guess so and actually at the, that product on launch we emailed like pretty much everyone in our network and then that got the word out and then it, it actually i think we hit number one spot and then Nice. That's when things, that's when the stress level started to go up. <laughs> that's when like things started to move, to move quicker in the business because more people heard about us. Cool. So I was thinking about growth in terms of like horizontal and vertical. It wasn't necessarily so like, actually it's a little counterintuitive in this case and correct me if I'm wrong, but 
it would be if you stayed in New York, you'd have to grow horizontal across different subsets of customers to get everybody versus if you went to other cities, you would stick with this niche of customer you understood just in different places. Well, it's not all about the numbers. It's also about learning how to expand. Also, cool. just expanding for yeah, the sake of expanding that. could be valuable. Even um, though it, it, on the surface, it could look like a bad idea because like, it doesn't look like you know what you're doing. But just by forcing yourself out there, out of your comfort zone, expanding forced us to kind of figure out how to do it. And now cool. like, we're really good at it because yeah. we invested all that time into it. Really interesting. Yeah, had we just not done that and just like focused on New York for like two, three years, like I don't know if it would have worked out. As well. huh. I, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have. I mean, cool. I don't know. It's all speculation. No, that's that's really interesting. So, how what does it look like when you spread to a new city? I mean, it's always different. Like yeah. sometimes we'll visit a city, like in San Francisco, we visited it and met with partners. In some cases, we'll hire basically freelancers to do it for us. That's kind of what we do nowadays. We, once we have traction in the city, because we do get a lot of inbound requests to kind of join the network, we used to kind of turn them away, but now we don't. Now we just kind of onboard them. So if we get like two, three partners in one city that came on board, we're like, okay, and there's some interest in the city. That's kind of like what happened with like Barcelona, for example. Like we got two, three, four, five, and then like reached out and then we're like, okay. So we, we brought on someone on the ground who would help us talk to these spaces. Cool. So, and then are they like full time or are these? No, just part time. Cool. We just pay them per project. They're like, oh, can you do X, Y, Z for us? And we'll pay this much and they do it. And wow. We, just have a, we have an ongoing relationship with a lot of part time freelancers. So how many cities are you in and how many full time employees do you have? So right now, uh, we are in at least, at least 80 cities. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you consider we're in them because a lot of those, it's just like one random partner that like Tokyo, we have one partner that just reached out and we're like, oh, can we list? And we're like, okay. <laughs> so now we have a partner in Tokyo. Um, do you make that a, in a, somewhere down there? Um, so. And then how many full-time employees? I'm just oh yeah. yeah. About Full-timers, that. there's five. That's amazing. Yeah. That's like, <laughs> we talk about we, we have an army of part-timers. Sure. We have like 30. Yeah, we have a lot. <laughs> so I'm interested in that. And, and we were talking before, um, the team is distributed, so you, you don't have a central office. Yeah. The, the full-timers are in New York. Cool. Uh, well, one full-timer, he, he's kind of an offshore full-timer. He's in Ecuador. But uh, the, the other four of us are in New York. So we still meet up sometimes, but we're generally see each other once a month. Once a month. Yeah. Wow. I don't know if that's recommended. <laughs> no. I mean, I think like we just like, we're just like really like techie people. So like we're good with like Slack and Skype and we're like, we just use these tools really well, cool. you know, for a non-technical founder, maybe that's not possible, but for like ultra nerds like us, like it works. <laughs> and, um, any lessons learned or tips for managing that big of a, of a part-time employee base? Yeah, I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. Um, I mean, you got to be ruthless with your time mm-hmm. because it, it can easily become uh, just random little administrative tasks and take up your time. So we, we one thing we did was we had to streamline how we budget the projects that we're offering to our freelancers. Before it was kind of like we'd go back and forth a million times with each one over every little thing. And once we standardized it, that cut down on the workload. Cool. So that stuff like that, I think is, is how you do it. Um, also how you communicate, like you should um, not be haphazardly going back and forth, chatting about random little things, uh, cause that could quickly balloon into taking up all your time and, and really hurt productivity. So you kind of have to communicate in a very 
terse way, unfortunately. <laughs> but it works. I mean, if you communicate very, uh, you can't you can't talk like how we're talking right now. You have to be like very kind of to the point if you're going to be working with this size team remotely. Cool. Without with our setup, maybe for like a large organization, you have more like middle managers. Maybe it doesn't have to be that way. But for our team, we're pretty small and we're trying to do something big. So we have to be very smart about how we like communicate and. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't mean communicate as in like check in with each other. Cause I think a lot of remote teams do like the whole check in thing and like stand up. We don't do like stand up or any like check ins. We do like a a weekly like strategy call, but that's it. Pretty much, we don't talk to each other actually most of the time. Yeah, I mean, if if they need to ping me for something, like they need this, they need to figure out how to do that. Like, yeah, and like people will ping each other, but like, yeah, I think we're like more productive since we're remote because you know there's less back and forth. Like you'd have in like an office, I think. Like, just kind of get right to the point and we're all like passionate about working on this thing and we're perfectly happy the way it is we just like work on it and it's like awesome and yeah we don't really feel the need to do like a water cooler chat you know <laughs> yeah it's just how it works no it's great we do a book club though once oh, a month yeah. we do book club what's that's the last book that's our um last one what's the best in the last year it's on it we put them on our website but I, I, I liked uh i saw it <laughs> um i like this one what was it called? Um, when I stop talking, you'll know I'm dead. It was about, oh, what's his name? He, he was like a promoter in Hollywood. Mm. He just kind of like told stories from his life. And uh, it was kind of a cool, cool book. Very cool. Yeah. Nice. I'll check it out. Cool. So I guess the next question is around fundraising and funding in general. What is your perspective on raising funding and how much effort have you guys put into it and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're looking at another yeah. funding event, hopefully. So I, I believe that it's a good thing to do. I know a lot of people are like against it, but I think it's, it's nothing wrong with it. If it makes sense and you want to grow something big, I think it makes total sense. Cool. I mean, it'd be nice to have the billions that we work as, but we haven't quite reached that level <laughs> yet, but I, I don't think we'd want that much, but yeah. That's going to get some money. And that actually transitions perfectly in my next category, which was uh, competition. And so how do you think about, I get emails constantly from new co-working spaces, new, like everything from the WeWork model to more niche uh, co-working spaces based on industry or whatever else to spacious kettle space, those sorts of guys. From my outside perspective, and I, I don't know if this is right, it's wholly anecdotal. Um, <laughs> But it seems like you guys are very much like you have a very clear niche that it is like that you go to persona if you're this type of person. And I think that that, that kind of blows my mind because I don't think that a lot of the others have that. Um, so how do you think about competition? Yeah, it's a complicated question. Um, are those even competitors to you or not? You could say they are in New York. Um, there's competitors in every city that we're in. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, there are people doing similar apps out there. I think we've been successful because going back to the name, it's very memorable. It sticks. It's an interesting, I think we've been successful because of our branding. It's very unique. Whereas most of these other apps are very like informational, like this is a desk acquisition. App. <laughs> so, so a lot of the, all, I think all the other apps are, are exactly like that. There's really no one with like interesting branding like we have. And that's, I think the biggest reason that we've been able to stand out. And then aside from that, we also kind of differentiate by um, having this like check-in, check-out system. It's, it's not the most perfect system. It's kind of wonky in some ways. It's 
it's a weird, uh, but it's not like, you know, cause usually these other sites are like listing sites where they, you can buy a day pass. It's more like one-off purchases. Whereas with us, it's like a whole system. It's kind of like Apple versus IBM. Like we have like the end-to-end system that you're part of and you have mm-hmm. to stay in that system. So it's opinionated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we, since we were like the first one and like the biggest ones to do it, we've been able to stand out. Like if someone were to do that exact same thing, yeah, I think they would have trouble. But uh, yeah, I don't think anyone else that's like doing the same exact like kind of end to end like check in check out system so far. <laughs> so up until now, yeah, I think we've been successful because no one else is really doing that same exact thing. Yeah. So from an outside perspective, I totally agree, and I see it as like this middle of Venn diagram between a unique tech ecosystem that's sort of um, inclusive and then the brand side. And then the last piece is I'll give a quote from one of our alumni who um, mentioned croissant. I mean, to embarrass you, but uh, mentioned croissant. Uh, I think I mentioned to, to her that I was doing this interview and she sent me an email or forwarded one of the newsletters you guys sent out that said, Croissant is frustratingly good at this. How do they do this? And what she meant was, how are they, how do you, how do they speak like such a good voice directly to their customer when you're the size that you are? It's really impressive. I didn't even think that we did that. All right. I mean, I don't know if you did that actually. Like, that's interesting. I mean, like, basically, the, the newsletter is created by our community, head of community, Georgette. Uh, yeah, she's like super creative. Mm-hmm. And as well as our co founder, Misha, she's also. She's kind of the brains behind the concepts that we've, we've done different concepts over the years for the newsletter, but the latest one was kind of concocted by Nisha and then perfected by Georgette. They're just really creative people. Like I can't do it. Like, I mean, I kind of like give my input here and there, but like, yeah, that, that's all them. Cool. So it's, I, I do think it's, it's interesting because it's a, at its core, it's a transactional service, but you do incredibly well, but you also humanize it in a, in a really nice way. Yeah, that's why I think the branding is why we stand out. So we kind of lean into that branding uh, because it's, I've, I've always loved it from the very moment that we came up with the name. I was like, that's perfect. Like that needs to exist. And uh, I just don't lose sight of that. Like it's, it's really easy to lose sight of that and be like, oh, mm-hmm. we should be more corporate or like change our brand. But like if you do something crazy and like lean into it, I think it could work. Like and really you can make you stand out. So that, that's worked for us. I don't know if it's like that for everyone, but that's just what we've done. No. Like the craziest thing we could think of, like let's do it and like, oh, this crazy idea for the newsletter, oh, let's put it in the newsletter. <laughs> let's put like a stupid gif in the newsletter. <laughs> and we just did it and uh, yeah. That's awesome. I mean, we talk a lot about how if you do, a lot of people do ordinary things and then expect to get extraordinary results and that's not really how it works. Yeah, yeah you, you can't, can't do copy. It. Very cool. So my next question is, and I promise you, we are getting to the end. I said a lot. I, there's a book I read, if, you, if you're looking for suggestions or if you, you might have read it already, it's called Essentialism. I really, I really, really like it. And the basic premise is that, and it's sort of on kind of what we're talking about, is 99% of things that, that people do are all the same. So everyone, like, we all answer emails the same way. We all, you know, if you're doing sales pitches, most of the sales pitch is going to be the same. Um, and there's 1% that's going different, different, and that's going to drive the majority of your results, whether they're good or bad. What are some of the 1% things? This is a tough question to ask on, that, <laughs> on the spot, but are there any things that you've done that are different than what other people have done, but have driven just enormous value for you? 
I'd say that, like, I mean, we do a lot of things differently, obviously, but the number one thing I think is the branding and just like how the actual app works. Like those two things put together are like really distinct. Cool. And that's why people like latch onto it. Like, they're like, oh, this is like, it's like a game too. Like we make it feel like a game when you use the app. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like you're doing work. Like you're, you're booking a desk to this other system or you're, you're joining a workspace with croissant. It feels like you're joining a game and you're playing a game. And your life is like a game. You, know, you just have to be doing work while you're doing it. So that that's kind of the feeling that we want people to have. It's amazing. Using it. So that's important, I would say. It's amazing. And I booked this room in a WeWork and it did not feel like a game. <laughs> it felt like a chore. Please don't kick me out, WeWork. Um, cool. So, great. So I have a couple of final questions. One of them was going to be, if you could do it over, what would you do uh, differently? The next question, I have a couple that are, that are more general for founders. So what do you think are some of the core tactics or sort of fundamentals that drive a startup in general? If you're going to give someone with an idea advice, sort of industry agnostic. Uh, well, if it's like a pure software startup, um, I would say you're going to want to test it out as quick as possible, right? You want to get in front of customers and try to sell them on it or get them actually using it uh, as quick as possible. So that's nothing, nothing new, right? That's just, everyone has that advice. The next one is, is around uncertainty. Things that always get me are just the number of things that are uncertain when you're starting a company. How do you deal with that? So it can be the mental state of having like a lot of your life be totally up in the air at all times. Um, is, is there anything that's been helpful with that? I mean, it helps to have a programmer background because if it all goes to shit, you could always get a job. <laughs> Um, if you don't have that job security, uh, yeah, I can see how it's a lot harder to take the leap. Yeah. I've never had an answer for that. Like either you got money saved up from your job and you can get another job job if you need to, or, um, yeah, I can see the merit in, in doing a side, like your accelerator where you're kind of doing it on a side. It's possible. I would think, I mean, I've never done it, but, uh, I don't see why not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've, we've never had anyone be really successful until they quit. I think it's possible to validate a lot of different types of startups while you have a job, but I don't think it's possible to build anything really. I'm not one of those guys who thinks you can do a side hustle and have that be anything. I don't. Yeah, I would build something prototype and get feedback. And then if it's good, then I put right then and there. Cool. Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't do what I said. Uh, but yeah, like, yeah, I could see it starting outside and yeah, you'd want to transition to full time as soon as you can. My last question for you, which I ask everyone, um, if you were going to start it, if you were like, all right, Kristan just sold to WeWork for a billion dollars, uh, but you can't use that billion dollars. So that for some reason is an escrow. <laughs> um, and you're going to start a taco truck tomorrow. What would you do? Um, so I guess the, I was thinking about that. Uh, the first thing I would Google is, uh, how to have a food truck <laughs> or something like that. I would, I would just like research that first mm -hmm. because it's not really like a, a software tech play, like software tech play. I would just like kind of build what I want to do and then put it in front of the customer. But if you're talking about like a business like that, I think it's completely different. You got to, unless you come from that industry, you got to, got to figure out how it works. And I feel like a lot of restaurants have, uh, actually one of our book clubs recently was all about this, like restaurateurs, like starting from outside the industry. Um, they just kind of had an idea for a, a cool food concept and they just, yeah, they just did it. Um, so I guess in this case, yeah, I'll Google how to get the permits and everything, assuming that that's how that works. 
I literally know nothing about it. Mm. Um, I guess the question is how to get money for your first truck. I assume eBay to <laughs> something, <laughs> find an old truck and take it over, or maybe start out with a stand. I don't know what the rules are. Mm. I'm sure you can figure it out. Yeah, I would have to learn. It sounds, sounds like a highly regulated thing. That's what yeah. it sounds like. like so I'd have to learn all the regulations. Cool. I would do all that research. That's It's so interesting hearing all the, like the approach from someone with uh, like a programming background versus someone with different types of backgrounds. It's really interesting. So appreciate that. Very cool. So that is what I've got. Is there anything that I missed that you think it would be important for early stage founders to know or to think about uh, as they decide whether to pursue an idea or not? Well, I wouldn't overthink it. I would mm-hmm. just, you know, either you're in or you're out. Like if it's going to work, then try it. If you're not willing to see if it's going to work, then you're probably not that passionate about it. So yeah, I really wouldn't, I don't really do much thinking. I just do, I don't do mm-hmm. much thinking. <laughs> so I'm the wrong person to ask. Wait, so what was the question? No, I think that was a great answer to it. The, the thinking was like, what should an early stage founder be thinking about when they're deciding whether to pursue the idea or not? And I think your point that like, if you're passionate about it, there shouldn't be that much thought. It should be something that you kind of, you just really want to do and you have to do it. Versus uh, a lot of our founders who tend to be successful are the ones who like, they couldn't not do it. Or like they just saw the idea and they're like, oh wait, that's a really good idea. Like, I just want to do that now. Yeah. And that, that's kind of that moment of glory when you <laughs> pursue your idea. <laughs> so, so if you don't have that moment of glory, yeah, if you're not passionate about it, maybe keep your day job. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Use the moment of glory. Um, very cool. Dave, thank you so much. If you are listening to this, you should go into the show notes or go to getcrisanta.com. Uh, the link will be there as well. And you should join because I think it's the best way to work when you're working remotely. So thank you so much again for coming in. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you need flexible co-working space, go to getcroissant.com. And if you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, come say hi to me at gettacklebox.com. Have a great week.